أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه وذرياته وأهل بيته ومن تبعهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وبعد باب استحباب الدعاء في السفر عن سيدنا أبي هريرة رضي الله تعالى عنه قال قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ثلاث دعوات مستجابات لا شك فيهن دعوة المظلوم ودعوة المسافر ودعوة الوالد على ولده رواه أبو داود والترمذي وقال حديث حسن وليس في رواية أبي داود على ولده So this is a, the chapter regarding the, the recommendation to make dua while traveling So the previous chapters had to do with what the specific duas were for traveling And now it's a general recommendation for traveling Sayyidina Abu Hurairah anhu narrates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said uh, three du'as or three supplications to the Lord uh, will be answered and there's no doubt in them being answered. One is the supplication of the person who's been wronged or oppressed. Uh, and the second is the supplication of the traveler. And the third is the supplication of the, the, the parent for the child. Or in this case, da'watul walidi ala waladihi literally means the, the supplication of the parent against the child. Uh, and this hadith is narrated by Sayyidina Abu Dawood uh, 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 and uh, Tirmidhi, Imam Tirmidhi rahimahullah ta'ala uh, said that it is a good hadith, is hadith Hassan. Uh, but uh, in the narration of Abu Dawood, the, the expression of, uh, of uh, a parent uh, making dua against the child is not mentioned. And there's more, uh, uh, there's more, uh, uh, I guess, kalam and and uh, uh, more commentary with regards to that. Um, and that is that there is another narration of the same hadith um, by uh, that Bazar narrates, in which instead of having the 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 dua of the parent against the child, it's mentioned wasaimu hatta yuftir, the the one who uh, fasts until they. Until they open their fast, that that person's du'a is not uh, is not uh, ignored, and it may be that the, the the they actually refer to two different things that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said that he wanted to mention three things now and he wanted to mention three things at another time, not because of forgetfulness or whatnot, but just because it's the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam his in general his. Uh, uslub and style of education was to give people information in, uh, in, in, in amounts that they can process, in a, a level that they can process. Uh, so it's possible that at one occasion he mentioned uh, one set of three, and at another occasion he mentioned another set of three. Um, as far as the, the, the par- dua of the parent against their child, uh, Ibn Majah narrates the same hadith, but his, uh, uh, but with one word different. That instead of al walidi ala walad, it's da'watul walidi li waladihi, which means that the 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 du'a of the parent for their child, not against their child. And uh, really, both of them are true at the same time. The idea is what is that when a parent makes a du'a with regards to their child, whether it's for them or against them. That dua is answered by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So uh, parents should be very careful about what they, what they pray for uh, for their child. There, I've heard of and met many parents who have cursed their children and then live to regret it because the exact curse that they gave to their child uh, ended up happening. And that's not what they wanted to. They just said the curse out of exasperation. But the question then arises that what is the common thread between all three of these things, uh, which is the... The dua of the, the person who's oppressed and the dua of the traveler and the dua of the parent uh, for their children. And the common thread between them is what? Is that a person says it in a, in a state of desperation. Meaning they know that they're in a situation where their own means and their own artifice and their own intelligence, their own wealth is not going to help them. The person who's mathloom, the person who's been oppressed, their rights were taken away from them. Things are not functioning the way they should. And uh, had they had the power to retaliate, they would have done so, but they don't. And the, the traveler 
uh, a traveler may be an extremely wealthy person. But if, you know, you're traveling in a foreign land, you're, you're traveling in Slovakia, and you, you lost your wallet, you don't have a, a credit card with you, you don't have any cash with you, etc., then you're being a billionaire means nothing. You can't even talk to people because you probably don't speak Slovak, right? Uh, a person becomes, in that situation, uh, 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 unable to avail themselves of their own wealth and their own uh, means in general. You're like in an airplane. You're really tired. You, you know, there's a baby crying next to you. Someone might say, well, if you're a billionaire, you're probably flying first class. There are things that are in the airplane that happen that the first class people have to go through as well. If there's turbulence, you, you know, first class is not immune to turbulence. If uh, Allah protect us and, 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 and uh, Allah, uh, uh, you know, forbid that such a thing should happen, but if the plane is going to crash, the first class crashes with the rest of the plane. Um, and this is one of the things I find really funny. Like there are Hajj groups that are like, there's like the, 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 the normal ones are starting to get close to $10,000 now anyway, right? So you have like these like weird like Russian like petrol oligarch like $100,000 type hedge groups. The fact is that you still have to make the off. I mean, you could be, you know, going to the Jamarat on a helicopter from the palace, right? But you still have to make the off in the same, in the same mataf. You're still going to get pushed by the same people from all the different wonderful parts of Asia and Africa and Europe and like other places where like wonderful people who push really hard come from. <laughs> you know, you're going to, you, you can't, you know, there's no like, there's no, uh, uh, you know, gold package, diamond, platinum package, Kaaba that you can go to that's different than the one that the other people go to. So when you're in Safar, there are certain things you just cannot control. Uh, and when you're, when your own, when your own Hila runs out, your own artifice runs out and ability to like solve your problems then you only have to ask Allah Ta'ala. It's a state of desperation. And the third is the parent for the child. And people know, mashallah, uh, that a parent loves their, their, their child. And sometimes children don't listen and they don't make smart decisions, unfortunately. And we know that. Some of us have been that child that has completely driven our parents like, up the wall. And some of us have children like that that are driving us up the wall. Uh, and, uh, you know, all you can do at that point is make dua but because because of your amount of care for your child and concern and sacrifice that you made you have a spiritual connection with them and when you make dua for for them or against them that dua has a very direct line with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so this is really important this is like what you know kind of like hood Sufism here, right here. Not like as in the hood, as in like, because it has anything to do with the actual hood, but it's like a more rugged form of Sufism that you probably won't find in like the high, high-minded books of the, the Mashaykh, which is this. In their books, you should be getting along with your parents and making them happy, okay? You're in Ribat and Lombard right now. You're pro- you know, if you're like me, you're probably not making the cut for that level of Sufism. The bare minimum, the floor uh, on the bottom end is what? If your parents hate you and you hate your parents, right? Just try your best not to cross them when you don't need to. And this happens. There are some people whose parents are frankly and starkly unreasonable. Especially since we live in a society where Islam is not the culturally dominant uh, force. And there are many people perhaps who are listening to this dars here or, or somewhere else whose parents may not even be Muslims. And so they definitely won't understand. Uh, uh, the idea is this. Is that even if your you know even if your pops is like the Fox Newsiest, making America great againiest, like just crazy dude, right? Uh, and they hate the fact that you're Muslim. Okay, if there's two choices you have in front of you, two courses of action, one which will cause him to like yell at you ten times, and one will cause you to like yell at him fifteen times, then pick the ten times one. Why? Because that parent of yours has in their du'a a, a power which is not. Uh, which is not uh, something that's like optional. And if they make dua against you, you will taste the bitterness of that dua in this world, even if they're not a Muslim. If they made it against you in dhulm, without a right, then you will be rewarded on the, on the other side, and they will be punished on the other side for it. However, the effect of that dua will hit you over here. There are certain hierarchical relationships in the sharia, this is something that perhaps like Islam has in common with Confucianism. Confucianism. Confucianism has a lot of teachings with regards to what your social relationships should be with other people, right? Uh, and it's, it's not devoid of hikmah. 
there are certain relationships, even though everyone, it's like the land of the free, home of the brave, it's America, love it or go home, go back where you came from. We don't like to like, think about hierarchical relationships because it's like against our like, national mythology. But the fact of the matter is there are hierarchical relationships, right? When you, tell the police, when you tell the police to put his hands on the car, he's not going to put his hands on the car. When he tells you to put your hands on the car, you better damn well put your hands on the car, otherwise he's going to make Swiss cheese out of you. Uh, and the slug from the nine will literally knock you over. I mean, you will not be able to charge him even. It will knock you over. It's, you, it's a hierarchical relationship. Life is filled with them. Just because you shout that you're free doesn't 100% make it true. So at any rate, there's certain hierarchical relationships in the Sharia. Uh, uh, parents to their children is one of them. Right? Uh, a husband to his wife is one of them, even though this is not a popular thing to say anymore. But that's what, that's what the, 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 the Sunnah of the Prophet teaches us with explicitly. Uh, and so I was like, oh, what if my wife, my husband's a total moron? Don't marry a moron, right? Like, or, like, you know, there's remedies to it. Like, well, I married him, I didn't know he was a moron. Okay, there's remedies to that. You know, you can go get counseling, you can go talk to one of the ulama. If things are uh, irre- irrevocably uh, uh, broken, then you can get separated from them. But as long as you're married, even if the person is a zalim, they're, they're being a, a husband to you as a wife, there's something in it, Allah Ta'ala stacked the deck in his favor. Elders to youngers, learned people to unlearned people, the ulama versus the awam. Be very careful how you deal with those people. Does it mean that every alim is completely like an angel and like never makes mistakes or never does unfair things or says, never says bad things or never even commits sins? Absolutely not. But there is a sir and a, 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 a mystery in that ilm that you need to still watch the way you deal with that person. If you don't even know how to read the Qur'an and you're talking to a hafiz, if you don't even know how to read Arabic and you're talking to somebody who you know, like has the ijazat of, uh, of the ulama and hadith and in different subjects, you'd be careful how you, how you mix it up with that person. Why? Because if they make a zulm on you, if they do something, uh, if, you know, they say something and in the spiritual realm it causes you harm. And they did it because the, the position they occupy that, uh, that Allah Ta'ala gave them because of their knowledge or because of their being elder or because of being husband or because of being parents or because of uh, uh, you know, any one of these things, if they do something, it will harm you. Just like if he, that person picked up a rock and threw it at you, it's going to hurt. The mess will be sorted out on the Day of Judgment. Now, one might say, well, if the mess is going to be sorted out on the Day of Judgment, then why should I care? And the fact of the matter is there is some sort of logic to that. But on, in, in certain times, you do have to stand up to people. And you just trust that Allah Ta'ala will take care of you eventually. However, uh, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is what? Remember this, because this is a book of, this is a book of tasawwuf, right? This is how you're going to make progress in your practice of tasawwuf. The sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is what? That Rasulullah ﷺ, when offered two things, he always took the easier of the two, except for if it involved uh, ang- angering Allah Ta'ala. So if your parents tell you to... N- don't pray anymore. And if you do, I'm going to make dua against you. You just, you got to keep praying, you know. Uh, that's just, that is how it is. People are in hard situations. That is what it, how it is. Even if their duas against you harm you in this world, Allah Ta'ala will compensate you from some other side in this world and He will compensate you in the hereafter as well for having to have gone through the trouble. And that's the test that He chose for you. However, if it's one of those things like, you know, I want to go to uh, uh, sushi and you want to go to like whatever the desi restaurant, then just shut up and go to the desi restaurant. Okay? But the nihari gives me indigestion. Well, the du'as against you are going to make, be much worse than the indigestion that like substandard nihari is going to give you. Just go drink water. Go have some salad over there. You know what I mean? Go order off of the kids' menu or something like that. Uh, that's... That's why, it's because this is a, a hierarchical relationship that, that's there. Even if your parents are crazy, they still love you. Uh, and, and even if your parents do destructive things to harm themselves and to harm you, they still love you. Uh, who said that every human being, what, whatever they do is rational? Oftentimes, if you want to deal with other people well, you have to not think about what they're saying with their words, but think, what is this person trying to express and oftentimes with irrational people, um, the two of them are very wildly different things, right? Uh, so uh, 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 that's something that you you know that's something you have to be very cognizant of and be very careful about. Um, that you don't cause problems for yourself. Life is difficult enough. The test of this life is difficult enough. Don't put yourself deeper into the hole by 
busting it up and dusting it up with your uh, with your with your parents or with your elders or with your teachers or whatever for no reason, even if they are wrong. Uh, you're, Allah Taala made everyone and everything in this uh, creation for a purpose. The ulama have explicitly said your purpose in life is not to teach your parents deen. They will not listen to you. Abu Hanifa's own mother wouldn't listen to him. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, it's it's a story narrated about him that he he his mother asked him to go to so and so other uh, student or other uh, scholar and ask him uh, some masail, ask him some fiqh, fiqh issues. So Abu Hanifa dutifully went to that sheikh and asked him, you know, what do you say concerning this and that? And the person is like, you're like the imam of all the people of like uh, 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 all of the people of the ummah uh, in fiqh. Why are you asking me? He's like, my, just like don't bust my chops. My mother sent me. Just give me the answer and let me go. And he goes, well, how about this? You tell me the answer, and then I'll tell the answer back to you, and then you can tell her that she said, or that he said this and that, right? Imam Hanifa, who used to like pray uh, the whole night and pray Fajr with the wudu of Isha, and like finish the Mekhatam of Quran every night, on top of being like, mashallah, one of the geniuses of the Ummah, and he narrates hadith directly from the Sahaba, radiallahu anhum. If his mother doesn't care about what he has to say about deen, then your mother doesn't care about what you have to say about deen. My mother, she's not going to listen to this, but she has no, she really doesn't care what I have to say about Dean. And you know what? Some of the dumbest moments in my life have been like not understanding that. And some of the best ones have been when I realized, oh yeah, Allah Ta'ala didn't even, he's not even going to ask me how come your parents didn't, like their fiqh was wrong. Why? Because it is known that most people, their parents don't, don't want to hear it from their kids. And if they're not trying to hear it, you don't have to say it to them. Now, obviously, I've seen this. It's a rare thing. Some people, someone has so much control over their nafs that, mashallah, pious, like a, a father will ask like something from his son and listen to him or from their daughter or whatever. And those are exceptions. The exception tells you nothing about the rule, right? Don't, don't go through life dusting it up with your folks. All it's going to do is cause trouble for you in this world. Uh, even, even if you're 100% right, and oftentimes these issues are so emotional, you're not right 100% of the time anyway. And you're then, if you're wrong, you're going to get it real bad on the other side also. Uh, and if you're right, the best case scenario is you're going to break even. Just circumnavigate these things. Sail around them. Don't go into them. You know, uh, It's like you know, Ryu when he, you beat Street Fighter 2 with the Ryu character. You know, He doesn't show up at the pedestal at the end and he's just walking down into the sunset because other people care about winning and losing. Ryu only lives for the fight. Don't be Ryu. That's not the Dean. I know some cats who are like that. They don't care about even winning or losing. They just live for the fight. That's not, you're, you're never going to get anywhere spiritually uh, that way. You're never going to get anywhere really in anything socially, economically, politically, any of that stuff. Uh, so these are those special occasions that you need to circumnavigate. Now, if you're like a good, like, mashallah, Shahir is like a good guy, man. Look at him. His mother must like love him so much, mashallah, right? <laughs> so if you're parents, you can use it in your favor as well. If you're, mashallah, if you're, you're, uh, uh, you know, parents are, are, are really love you and like you're like the joy and the light of their eyes and the apple of their eye and whatever, then you can use that as well. The du'as and the ability to please them, you can use it as well. The person whose parents are happy with them, pleased with them, those people oftentimes on top of receiving a reward in the hereafter, uh, Allah Ta'ala will give them wealth in this world. That's what they say that a, a reason for for uh, uh, sabotaging your own risk, risk in this world is to that your parents are unhappy with you, whether justly or unjustly. And the reason for having wealth in this world is the du'as of your parents. Uh, uh, so, you know, don't, don't mess it up if you don't have to. If it's really messed up, try to mitigate and do damage control. And if you are actually, mashallah, your head's above water in this, in this thing, then, uh, uh, then use, it, you know, use it to your advantage because there's a great secret locked up in it. Babu ma yad'u bihi idha khafa nasan aw ghayrahum. It's a chapter with regards to those prayers uh, that are to be said when someone fears other people or fears other than them. Meaning jinns and animals and shayateen, anyone, anyone or anything that's going to harm them. And nowadays, astaghfirullah, protect us and protect the Muslims and protect every, all the innocent people in this world. And people are getting, their entire villages are getting burned down, like getting shot out of the sky by drones and things like that. Uh, that some guy, guy is like playing, playing a video game at a call center in Nevada somewhere, uh, except for instead of like blowing up pixels, he's blowing up people. And then when he goes home, you know, his wife yells at him for not picking up work. And he's like, this is a real thing. They have to have counselors for these people. Like I just, I just burned like a village of like 1,500 people down today. <laughs> 
I just killed like 500, 1,500 people today, 500 people today. How dare you yell at me about the milk? Astaghfirullah. <laughs> so these du'as are, 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 are necessary. And Sayyidina Abu Musa, uh, sorry, and Sayyidina Abi Musa al-Ash'ariyi, radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama, kan idha khafa qawman qala, Allahumma inna naj'aluka fi nuhurihim, wa na'udhu bika min shururihim. Rawahu Abu Dawood wal Nasa'iyu bi isnad sahih. Sayyidina Abu Musa al-Ash'ari radiyallahu ta'ala anhu, he uh, narrates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he would fear, uh, when he would fear a, a, a people, right? That someone would say, "So and so tribe is is plotting against you, or they're going to attack, or they're going to, you know, whatever. Uh, their brigands are going to rob your caravans, or something like that." When he would fear a group of people, his dua that he would make was, "Allahumma inna naj'aluka fi nuhurihim wa na'udhubika min shururihim." Oh Allah, uh, we place you in their necks. Meaning what? That we ask you to turn their evil plans against us into their own neck. How many a qawm has plotted and schemed against the people of Iman and Allah Ta'ala has made it their own destruction? You see the entire USSR is now, mashallah, like 13 different countries. They, uh, they tried to uh, take over Afghanistan. Now, why the hell anyone would try to take over Afghanistan is completely beyond me. It's like Napoleon trying to start a war, land war with Russia in the middle of the winter. That's wonderful, but why? Right? How much money does Afghanistan have? Not a whole lot of money. How much oil does it have? Absolutely none. Mineral resources. I guess they mine some rubies and sapphires, but you can get all that other stuff from other countries that have a lot more resource. Afghanistan is a completely landlocked country filled with like tribal people armed to the teeth with short temper. Okay, I guess you can try to take it over. And so they, they ended up fighting this long, drawn-out, protracted war, which wasted billions of dollars and ended up bankrupting them. Large contingents of Russian soldiers still live in Afghanistan to this day. You know that they abandoned their, their, uh, they abandoned their units. And uh, many of them actually accepted Islam and they just like speak Farsi and Pashto and like live in villages over there because they're, they got decimated so badly there was just no point going back. They actually go back to Russia like, you know, every couple of years just to visit relatives, but they live in Afghanistan now and like pray in the masjid five times a day. Um, this is, this is a, a pre-modern society. Completely bankrupted them. And so now what happens, like mashallah, we've, it's how, how long has it been since 9-11? This is 2000 and what? 18. So it's been 17 years almost. It's going to come up, coming up on 17 years of this uh, pointless war. Remember, no one, in, no one who was even connected by our government who was connected to 9-11 was from Afghanistan. Remember that. None of them were, right? Why are we taking over Afghanistan? Allah Ta'ala knows best. Uh, uh, and so that war is going on. And after 18 years, over 3,000 people, U.S. soldiers died. Forget about the hundreds of thousands of Afghanis who probably died and went to jail and whatever. Over 3,000 more U.S. soldiers died in this uh, fool's errand in Afghanistan than, uh, 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 than uh, uh, died in the actual 9-11 and that's what our government says. They artificially like deflate the numbers in order to make these things politically tenable. Um, all of all of which for what? They still like don't control by U.S. government estimates something between sixty and seventy percent of the country. And what what's the point? How much is it going to get us in terms of money? Absolutely nothing. What is the political importance of Afghanistan? Absolutely nothing. What is the, what is, what, all we did was made heroin cheaper. Because the Taliban used to rule from before they eradicated the, the, the cultivation of heroin poppies. Now, mashallah, heroin fields are, are, are blooming with, you know, pretty flowers. I'm from California. California, the state flowers, the, the golden poppy, right? Uh, so that's, I guess, nice uh, from that point of view. But when you turn it into heroin, then it becomes a little bit more of a demon. Uh, it's not as cute anymore. How many, how many a qawm has plotted against the Muslims and Allah Ta'ala made it just a sabab for their own, for their own sorrow and their own destruction? Uh, and this is the, 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 the du'as and the prayers of the people, they don't go unanswered. They don't go unanswered. So when a person fears a qawm, uh, uh, let them say the du'a of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Allahumma, 
inna naj'aluka fi nuhurihim wa na'udhu bika min shururihim O Allah, we, we, we place you in their necks, meaning what? We ask you to place their plans against us that they come down on their own necks and not on ours. Wa na'udhu bika min shururihim and we seek refuge in, in you from their evil. And the madhar of this dua is not primarily in this world. The, the place of manifestation of this dua is not primarily in this world. In this world, from time to time, place to place, Allah Ta'ala will show us uh, how He does this in order to bring coolness and, and, and happiness to the hearts of the believers so that they don't go through so much difficulty that they become despondent and give up hope. But the primary manifestation of this dua will be in the hereafter when the people who uh, commit and perpetrate zulm and oppression, uh, they will come to truly regret their actions in a, a full and complete way. Uh, uh, but unfortunately and alas, that regret uh, is not going to benefit them on that day. So it's better to, better to repent and, and stop uh, you know, harming innocent people in this world. It would have been better for everybody, and it's, it still can be better. People can always repent. It's never too late. Babu Mayakulu Ida Nazala Manzilan. It's a chapter of what a person should say when they uh, enter the house. An khawlata binti hakimin radiyallahu ta'ala anha. Qalat sami'atu Rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqulu man nazala manzilan thumma qala a'udhu bi kalimatillahi tam mati min sharri ma khalaqa lam yadurruhu this is a typo lam yadurruhu shay'un hatta yartahila min manzilihi thalika rawahu muslim does anyone have a pen I can borrow real quick So, Sayyidah uh, Khawla bint Hakim, she's the, the wife of Sayyidina Uthman bin Mad'oon radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who was one of the early muhajireen who accepted Islam. And he was a, 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 a person known for his, and he made hijrah, and he died early in the, the early period of Medina Munawwara. And he was an early convert and one of the very close people to the Prophet sallallahu and a person who was known to after having accepted Islam, to turn his back on the world. He was a person of zuhud. And uh, uh, Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu is reported to have said that he died, he became ill and died. And he said that at that time when he died from illness, he said that I, I was disappointed, meaning I, I thought of him that he was such a, 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 such a, a person of high rank. How is it that he died on his bed from sickness and he didn't die as a shaheed? And then he said, afterward, when I saw that the Prophet ﷺ didn't pass away in the battlefield, and Abu Bakr who didn't pass away in the battlefield, then he goes, that feeling left from my, from my heart. But Sayyidina Umar the point is that he held him in esteem as if he was a, a, a person of high rank in Islam. Uh, but we don't hear so much about him because he, he, he accepted Islam early, but he also passed away early in, uh, uh, in the, uh, uh, after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ in the Medinan period. So she narrates that I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam say when he entered into the house, uh, or to, I heard him enter the house and say, "I seek refuge in the words of Allah Taala, all of them, from the evil that He created. Uh, whoever says that, uh, they will not be harmed uh, until they uh, leave from that, from that, that, that house, or from that place of, uh, from that dwelling." So this is a important. These are important du'as, and. One of the things, we don't memorize stuff, and uh, some people place more em- emphasis and importance on memorizing things. Some people place more importance and emphasis on understanding. Both of them are important. So it's okay, like if you listen to the recording or if you, uh, uh, you know, have some time, you can have the dua written and then practice it and say it again and again, and then you'll learn it. Once you learn it, you learn it forever. This is a very important dua to know. This is a dua that, that uh, uh, like it's important, like when you go to places like Mauritania, like I was in the, in the desert, there's like scorpions and snakes and like all kind of weird, like wild animals, lions, tigers, baboons that'll throw rocks at you, like weird stuff out there, you know what I mean? 
and uh, a donkey could kick you. Getting kicked by a donkey, it sounds fun, but it's funny, but it's not funny at all. It's really, uh, you know, if the donkey kicks you in the right place, you know, he, he might hit, the, he, like, you, you might be like a slot machine and your eyes will spin until you hit the jackpot. Uh, it's, not a, it's not fun stuff. So you're all of a sudden like 12 hours from the nearest hospital and uh, then, you're, then you learn all these du'as because you're like, you know, you don't have anything else, right? If you get sick or whatever, there's no hospital you can go to or whatever. But then you realize an important lesson, which is what? Which is you didn't have anyone else other than Allah Ta'ala, even if you're sitting inside the hospital. This is one of the reasons that the du'as are readily accepted in these places or in these circumstances. It's not because the circumstance is like sacred or holy. Otherwise, everyone who is like executive platinum on American would be like a wali of Allah, and some of them are actually alcoholics and drunkards, right? Uh, because they get free drinks on the airplane, they make a fool of themselves, right? It's not the suffer itself that makes you a wali of Allah Ta'ala. It's the fact that there's a, a hijab in your heart between you and Allah, that you think somehow your money, your car, your house, your position, your job, your title, your family, your passport, all of these things are going to help you. And so sometimes you, uh, there are certain situations that you're in, like traveling, like being mazloom, like your kids, like giving you grief, etc., that lifts the, the hijab in your heart between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and reminds you of how desperately in need of His mercy you were, even though you were just as desperately in need of His mercy from before. Even a person is a wealthy person and has degrees and pious and blah, blah. That person is still completely... Uh, 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 helpless in front of Allah Ta'ala More helpless than a newborn baby And in need in, of Allah Ta'ala's help and mercy More than a newborn baby They just don't realize it So sometimes certain things happen That like you know That, 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 that lift that hijab in your heart Now if you're a smart person You will be able to Lift that hijab when it comes in Or keep that hijab lifted That way if your heart is in that state Then everywhere you go And whatever you do Your du'as will be accepted this is the reason that some of our mashayikh were very needy. They would complain to Allah Ta'ala about everything. And someone might say, what is this? You know, toughen up, suck it up, uh, be a tough guy. What, are you going to be a tough guy in front of Allah Ta'ala? You should be tough in front of one another and in front of the creation. Right? You should show, you know, you should show how strong you are. and Don't show your weakness in front of the creation. What, are you going to show Allah Ta'ala how tough you are? Right? You show your Allah Ta'ala your weakness and your need of Him and then He will be mercy to you. And if you show your toughness to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala, then go. Go figure out your own problems. Go figure out you know, your own solutions. Go take care of your business on your own. Uh, don't expect any help. So these, these du'as are very important, important to know. And the fact of the matter is that even though there's not scorpions in most people's houses over here, but still things can happen. Even if you live in the safest neighborhood, Still things can happen. There's no neighborhood that's so safe that it can protect you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, and so a person should, need, should know these, these du'as. So the first one was, Allahumma inna naj'aluka fi nuhurihim wa na'udhu bika min shururihim. This one, now people should memorize it. It says, A'udhu bikalimatillahi tamati min sharri ma khalaq. It's a short, I think it's a short version, the dua, the, the, there's a longer version of شَرِّ مَا خَلَقَ وَذَرَأَ وَبَرَأَ وَمَا يَنزِلُ مِنَ السَّمَاءِ مَا يَعْرُجُ فِيهَا etc. You don't have to, just memorize the short, the short version. So, أَعُوذُ بِكَلِمَاتِ اللَّهِ التَّامَاتِ مِنْ شَرِّ مَا خَلَقَ This is from the du'as of the morning and the night. Life is difficult enough as it is. You don't need, you, you need to take this protection in order to not have to waste your time on all of these kind of side things that everybody else has to deal with. Allah Ta'ala gave you an ability to reduce the, the, the amount of like runaround that you have to do with all these other side uh, problems that you have to deal with. Use these du'as as a shield against them. Even if you say all the du'as, someone might say, well, Rasulullah used to say all the du'as all the time and he also had to deal with problems, right? His problems, quote-unquote problems that he had to deal with is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, giving him his maqam in the hereafter. Uh, those were not really problems, those were what he was created for. But how silly would it be that, that you're so busy dealing with like, like silly side things that you never got a chance to work on your deen or yourself a person as a person. And the difference is what? If you spend your whole life you know, dealing with the auto mechanic or whatever, then, or doing kind of like silly like side things or dealing with side, side problems, it doesn't improve you as a human being. It's just a waste of time. 
so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a type of help also that you can take, that you ask Allah ta'ala to protect you from those things that are not going to benefit you in the akhirah. Those troubles you have in this world that are going to benefit you in the akhirah, on that day you're not going to regret them. Those troubles that you have in this world that are not going to benefit you in the akhirah, you're going to say that was a waste of time. That's what the, the, the difference is. So learn these du'as so that you don't have to, you don't have to deal with all of these, uh, with all of these other matters. It's, I seek refuge in the words of Allah, all of them, from the evil that He, uh, he created. This is from the du'as that a person should say three times in the morning after Fajr and three times after uh, Asr. And from whenever they, they fear harm from someone or from something. Uh, they say, I seek refuge in the words of Allah Ta'ala, all of them, from the evil that He created. Rasulullah said, Whoever enters a, a, a dwelling and says, says this dua, uh, they won't be harmed from anything until they leave from that dwelling. One said, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. Rasulullah <laughs> ومن الحية والعقرب ومن ساكن البلد والد وما ولد رواه أبو داود سيدنا عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنه said that once the uh, sorry not once but in general when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to travel uh, and he was traveling and the night was approaching uh, uh, he would say oh oh earth or oh land uh, my lord and your lord is Allah and I seek refuge in Allah from uh, your evil and from the evil that is uh, on you, uh, or the evil that is in you, meaning in the earth, uh, and from the evil uh, that was created uh, in you, uh, and uh, 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 from the evil that uh, walks upon you. Uh, from, meaning from, right, dubbayadubbu is like, uh, means to crawl. It's basically every, every uh, creature that moves on the land. Uh, uh, and I seek refuge from you, Ya Allah, from the, the evil of a, a, a Asad. Asad is what? Asad is a, a, a lion. Aswad. Aswad means what? Aswad means black, right? The color black. Um, but here it means, uh, uh, according to the commentators, there's some difference of opinion. One is uh, uh, the, the one that's, I guess, first mentioned uh, uh, is. Is is a uh, like a big shot person, right? Uh, Aswad means black. Aswad and Sayyid are actually from the same the same word. So blackness is somehow associated with what with being like a leader or like a a, a person who's like a chief of people. Uh, so that's uh, that's uh, that's one uh, uh, one opinion. Another opinion regarding what the meaning of the word aswad is here from the lexicographers is it means a, 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 a large snake. It means a, a large snake. Uh, um, and Allah knows best uh, which one it is. It seems that Nawawi prefers the first, the first opinion and Allah, Allah Ta'ala knows best. And I seek refuge in you from, uh, from snakes and from scorpions. And uh, and from wh- whoever the inhabitants of this land are, wasakinil balad wahumul jin wasukanul ardi qala wal baladu min al ardi wa ma kana ma'wal hayawani wa illam yakun fihi binaun wala manzil wala manazilu afwan qala wa yhtamilu an al murada bil walidi iblis wa walada shayatinu. So he said that I, that I seek refuge in you from the uh, inhabitants of this land. And uh, the, the commentators say that this doesn't just mean the people, but it also means the jinns and the animals uh, that, that live in this land. Uh, uh, and the, 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 the progenitor and his progeny. The walid and walad here is, uh, according to Nawawi, an ishara toward Iblis. Uh, 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 and because Iblis is the father of the jinn, just like 
Adam alayhi salam is the father of, of humans. So just like in, in, uh, in, in Arabic, if you say Adami, it means any human. If you say Shaitan in Arabic, it could mean Iblis himself, or it could mean one of his progeny, even if that Shaitan is a Muslim, or even if that Jinn is a Muslim. Why? Because he may not be a Shaitan spiritually, but, physic- or, but like in his physical uh, creation, he's a Shaitan. It's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that every human being has a shaitan that, that follows them around. Right? Uh, and then uh, the Sahaba عنهم, asked the Rasul ﷺ, what about you? He says, yes, I have a shaitan also and mine became a Muslim. Mine accepted the deen. And so this is, uh, you know, this is something that, that's a reality as well. That uh, a person has a shaitan that will tag along with them. That's born, with, with, that's born when they're born. And we'll tag along with them, and that person, that shaitan will influence you, and you will influence the shaitan as well. So if you're a pious dude and you're reading Quran all the time, then shaitan isn't good. That shaitan isn't good company. That shaitan maybe maybe actually very pious per, pious person. Maybe if you slip up and try to do something bad, that shaitan will influence you to do something better. And if you're a rotten person, then you taught your shaitan bad habits. And if you try to leave. Uh, those bad habits, maybe shaitan is not ready to leave yet, so it'll drag you back into it. And uh, Allahu Alam, uh, uh, some of the ulama say that this is like maybe when people say that, oh, like I'm in, you know, communion with your dead, whatever grandpa, and you know, did you, did he used to call you junior when you were a kid or whatever? And like, yeah, I've never told anyone that. And and uh, you know, maybe just the shaitan that they're talking to, the jinn, because jinns have lives that are much longer than than human beings. Uh, and Allah Ta'ala knows, knows best. Um, but uh, 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 that those jinns that, that, that influence people, the hadith of the Prophet wasallam that the shaitan runs through a human being like blood runs through his veins. Meaning the shaitan in its normal form is, uh, is, not, is not physical, it's ethereal. So that, that shaitan can enter into you and affect you. And the amount that it affects you is commensurate with what? with your state. So if your eyes and ears and stomach and private parts are uh, completely filled with haram, then you're weak. You're not able to resist that shaitan. And if they're not, on the other hand, they're protected from them, Allah Ta'ala make all of us from amongst those people, uh, um, then the shaitan has little to no access to you. Uh, uh, so Rasulullah wasallam used to seek refuge in Allah Ta'ala from from, from those shayateen that a person they should bother a person in there I mean there's like le- different levels of access that the shaitan has to a person a person you know gets angry and says I don't know what got into me I did this I did that we see all of these weird school shooting and uh, weird like sexual abuse and weird this and that and the other thing people are otherwise very competent people they do these super ugly things they themselves don't understand how and why they did them uh, uh, the reason is what is that uh, uh, you know the spiritual world exists? Not everything is just your own decisions about your own things. It's not like that spiritual world is magical. That a person who's been praying you know five times a day and like you know scrupulous about their deen for the last thirty years is going to one day turn into a school shooter. It's what it's the 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 breakdown of a person's morality and a person's spiritual state and their mental state. It gives access then to other stuff. And uh, then those things work synergistically in order to uh, harm you. Just like if you're a good person, those things can work synergistically in order to benefit you. Uh, and that's one really beautiful thing about this Khalil Center is that it's a very practical manifestation of, of how a person can implement the teachings of the deen uh, in their life in order to, in order to avoid, uh, in order to avoid some of these really highly destructive states that a person may get into, right? So reading Ayatul Kursi 70 times is not going to cure clinical depression. Go, go to a, a, a therapist, go to a specialist, go to someone who knows what they're talking about. They'll help you, to, you, know, they'll help you with your state. And then at that time, also then you, you receive the treatment from the dean. Eating, reading Ayatul Kursi 73 times is not going to harm you either. It may benefit you as well if you're doing other things that are right. Uh, uh, and so uh, it's good that these kind of practical manifestations of the teachings of Islam are there so that people can benefit from them 
rather than going about solving problems in the wrong way and then afterward blaming the deen when you don't get the outcomes that, that, that you desire. Right? What did Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam say? He said, tie the camel and then trust in Allah ta'ala. Right? That's, that's sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. If you don't want to do that, then you, you have your own separate different deen. Uh, that's not what the, the deen of Allah ta'ala is. Babu istihbabi ta'jilil musafiri ar-ruju'a ila ahlihi idha qada hajatuhu. The chapter regarding the recommendation to uh, quicken or hasten uh, the return of a traveler to his family once he's done doing what he needs to. Meaning when you're on a trip, do what you need to and then go home. Don't just hang out uh, outside of your home for too long. And Sayyidina Abi Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, anna Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam aqala, as-safaru qita'atum min al-adhabi yamna'u ahadakum ta'amahu wa sharabahu wa nomah. فَإِذَا قَضَى أَحَدُكُمْ نَهْمَتَهُ مِنْ سَفَرِهِ فَلْيُعَجِّلْ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ وَالنَّهْمَةِ الْمَقْصُودِ Can I borrow your pen again? I apologize. There's another typo here. Unfortunately, a lot of these, uh, these are commercial editions that they, just, they print out as fast as they can in order to sell. They don't hire ulama in order to actually edit them properly. There's, by the way, you know, if anyone, mashallah, you know, Mahin, if you become like some sort of like steel magnate or aluminum magnate or whatever one day, um, there's no good, there's no good printed edition of Bukhari. There are good manuscript editions of Bukhari. There's no good printed edition of Bukhari, much less any of the other books of Hadith. There's no good edition of the Ihya'ulum al-Din. There are many really good, uh, uh, really, really important works in our tradition, and they're filled with typos. And they're filled with, or they're only based on one manuscript that's not like the best manuscript to use or whatever. Whereas some of the old nusakh that are handwritten and they're sitting in libraries, some of them in, in like libraries uh, in the possession of non-Muslims, unfortunately. Um, those manuscripts are, were prepared painstakingly. Uh, uh, and many of them have sanad to the original author. Some of them are in the hand of the original author themselves. Uh, um, and, and editions are not prepared from them Rather these kind of commercial prints are quickly put out And then like people go through difficulty Because what will happen is that they'll read a print typo And not all typos are like you can pick them up like, Based on grammar or uh, uh, Not all typos you can pick, are nonsense Like here it's just safari he It's just safari his Which obviously doesn't mean anything uh, 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 um, You know not all the typos you can pull out like that so it would be a great service to the Muslim world if, because we don't have copyists anymore. And this is one of the things that, that upsets me so badly. Um, you have these kind of modernist people, they're like, oh, look, ulama are so stupid. Why? Because when the printing press came to the Turkish, uh, to the Ottoman Empire, uh, the ulama forbade it because they, you know, they saw the pounding of the sheets like with the machine so hard. And they said, this is disrespectful to the books of Ilm Harina, pound the sheets like that. And because of that, you know, ergo, the ulama forbade at a certain time and place printing presses. Therefore, ulama are stupid and they caused the whole Muslim world to fall. And like, that's why everything sucks now. Well, interesting, you should say that. Because the ulama haven't had any influence on the Muslim world for over a century in almost every Muslim country. And, you know, those countries now like are in a worse position than they were from before. So go explain that, first of all. Second of all... One of the reasons that they, one of the reasons they were not eager to have the printing press replace the the pr- replace uh, manuscripts is what, is that the the copyists the the the, the katib, he wasn't merely a calligrapher. Now we have some people who are like artsy calligraphers. That person wasn't merely a calligrapher. That one person was a trained editor, and they knew how to compare different manuscripts. They knew which manuscript for what was in which library. It's like a complete skill set. Okay, they were afraid that if we bring printing presses in, that set of people is going to be supplanted. You can bring printing presses in, but you still need to keep that set of people who keep that knowledge so that what? So that the, the editions of books are not corrupted. The problem is that now those people are left without jobs, they're left without a living, so some people do it out of their love of deen. There are people you can still find like that, right? This is a for those of you who are like active in the internet and things like that. There's one Mufti Hussein Karodia. Don't ever get into an argument with him about anything, because he's always going to beat you even if he's wrong. Why? Because you're going to say your point, and then he's going to say his point, and then you're going to say your proofs are from what book, and he's going to say his proofs are from what book, and then he's going to ask you which edition do you use, 
And then you'll be like, I don't know. So go check. And then you'll say, oh, it's Darul Kutub Ilmiya print. And he'll be like, oh, that one is a bogus edition. And it only used this one manuscript where I have 15 other manuscripts that say that that section that you quoted actually says this. And you're, you're just going to lose. There are some people like that that know knowledge of, uh, of these things. But they're very few and far between. And they receive no support from people. Because of that, there's no good edition of these books, even in Arabic. Much less good translations, etc., etc. Uh, so no, the ulama were not, you know, stupid people. And uh, 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 eventually they did actually bring the printing presses into the Ottoman Empire. You know why and how they brought them into the Ottoman Empire, by the way? The printing presses were mass ordered by the Ottoman Sultan uh, for the, the refugees, the Jewish refugees from Andalus, from Spain, that were fleeing from the Spanish Inquisition. The same Catholic church, the Pope goes around like, mashallah, patting kids on the head in photo op. Yeah, the same, that same Catholic church basically, uh, you know, sanctified, and I say that in quotes, they, they gave the holy blessing to what? Go through all of the Iberian Peninsula, every Jew you find, kill them. Force them to become Christian or kill them. Every Muslim you find, force them to, force them to become Christian or kill them. They opened up offices of the Inquisition in the New World. The Muslims who were here from before uh, Columbus... They killed them. They found them, hunted them down, killed them. They did it in Philippines. The Philippines was a completely Muslim country. Now only the southern third of the, the Philippines is still Muslim majority. The northern two thirds, what did, what did they do? They forced people, they took their children away from them, they killed them, tortured them, etc. Forced them to abandon the deen. And that's how uh, Philippines is, is, is the only uh, uh, Christian majority country in the entire Asian continent. Uh, or maybe one of two or three now, I guess, because there's been some geographical change. But the point is, is what? is that Inquisition, the Jews that ran from, from Andalus to save their lives, the Ottoman Sultan, who was the Khalifa at the time, Sunni theocratic rule, right? Now this is the Islamic State, this Islamic State. I think that they actually enjoy saying Islamic State and the news, just like as a ta'an against the Muslims. We have nothing to do with Daesh. They're a bunch of Yahoo wackos, and I'm glad whoever fights them, Allah Ta'ala reward that person, and I'm glad that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're getting beat pillar, pillar to post and having the floor mopped with them. And I hope it continues until they're completely gone. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that the actual state that was a Sunni theocracy, what did it do? While, while Europeans were busy like, uh, uh, like trying to like, uh, sniff out Jews who are trying to you know, uh, lay low, uh, the, the Sunni uh, theocratic ruler of, of the Muslim world, he not only gave them refugee status, right? the same refugee status that these people who uh, go to church on Sunday are trying to get revoked, not only did he give, him refugee, give them refugee status, a carte blanche, but he also set up print shops for them. So the printing business in Istanbul was run by the Jews. Why? Because they set up print shops for them. And they said that you lived under uh, a Muslim rule in Spain, under the dhimma of Allah and His Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and you paid, you paid jizya, even though they didn't pay jizya for all but a very short period of time, but the, your forefathers paid jizya, so we'll honor the, uh, honor the agreement that you have. Uh, and so uh, the print shops were all run by, run by Jews. Uh, so no, the Ottoman Empire is not like they didn't have any print shops or whatever, but when it came to ilm, the, 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 the scribes and copyists, they have a very sacred profession in which they preserve a great number of the ulum. People have lost those ulum, right? You'll, mashallah, one day you'll read Dora Hadith. Nobody will ever ask you which edition of Bukhari are you using. Why? Because the ilm is almost gone. There are very few people who can answer questions like that. I have a friend uh, uh, who, who did research in the different manuscript uh, tradition, uh, traditions of, of Bukhari. Uh, 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 his name is uh, uh, Abdul Alim Garrett Davidson. I think he's a professor somewhere in South Carolina right now, or whatever. Inshallah, I'm going to bring him inshallah to Rabat uh, 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 sometime after Ramadan and have us measures for the ulama so he can talk about the, the the different manuscript variants of of Bukhari and the different books of Hadith. People don't know don't know about these things, uh, um, and for for that for that reason. But at any rate, coming back to the Hadith, that's an important. I apologize, it was somewhat of a, a tangent. But it's important to know about, you know, uh, while a lot of our manuscripts are sitting in, in, in libraries that are even non-Muslims don't know, uh, you know, instead of buying like freaking a Picasso or, uh, uh, you know, buying a, a Van Gogh painting or whatever, and like, you know, I'm not just picking on one country, all of them do it. They waste their money on all these just dog ugly works of art, if you want to call it a work of art. 
go buy, buy some of our manuscripts. You know what they do? Kufar, they'll go travel to the Muslim world, they'll buy a mushaf, beautifully written, beautifully illuminated, and they'll cut the thing into single pages and uh, uh, put them in a frame because they can get more money for it that way. Now tell me, if ISIS is going in like destroying uh, 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 weird temples from the times of Jahiliyyah and it's archaeological, archaeological disaster, which is fine, I, I, I'm not, you're not going to get no pushback from me, right? The Sahaba didn't destroy them, so why is ISIS going to destroy them, right? But uh, if, they're going to, if they're going to do that and you're going to make a big deal out of it, what about this? What about burning so many libraries that got burned in colonialism, etc.? Nobody, nobody cares, nobody's going to shed a tear from, from them. We don't even expect that from them. They don't know any better. But uh, for us, if we have some ghayrat, you know, you, you should, instead of like, you know, wanting to, you know, have a, have a really sweet house with a pool and this and that and the other thing, you spend your money on other things. Say, I want to have, I want to prepare that. But Sheikh said that there's no good addition of Ihyalum ad Man, there are muhaqqiqeen, people who are people of great knowledge. You could pay them, literally, the project costs like 30, 40, 50, 60, 100,000 dollars. And they will buy the manuscripts, or at least travel to the places where those manuscripts are, collect several of them, and prepare an edition and have the money to have it edited. Those people will work for almost nothing, uh, because the books are their love. Um, we have very few people, see, this is one of the problems, if someone graduates from Darsh Nizami, they say, Fulan is alim. There, I mean, an alim is the person who has love of knowledge, and they, you know, the ijazah you receive when you graduate, it's not ijazah saying that you're an alim, it's an ijazah to go become an alim now. You have the tools, start reading books, start learning all of these things. You have people like this, especially in the Muslim world, they will work for nothing just because that's their passion. You just need to keep them alive, you know, they need to pay rent and like pay uh, uh, for food, both of which are really cheap in the Muslim world. And you can do that. And once your family has prepared an edition of uh, the Hiya, everybody else is going to use that edition until Yom Al Qiyamah. And, uh, you know, even if you're like not a, a mega sincere person, you know, there's good showing off in there too. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you should do it for that reason, but you know, my, my gharad as a, as a uh, person who uh, loves knowledge is that what? Is that once the edition is there, you can make toba later. Let's just get the edition out first. <laughs> the sad part is if you don't do it with sincerity, it's not going to happen. But khair. Uh, because Allah Ta'ala wouldn't give that, wouldn't give that much sawab to somebody who's not sincere. But uh, uh, it's, important to know, it's important to know about these things. So Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that Traveling is a, a piece of torment. It's a piece of adab. Uh, and it forbids a person from eating the things that, that are good for them and, and drinking the things that are good for them and getting proper sleep. So if you're out and you uh, fulfilled whatever need you have, uh, it mean, even if you're going on vacation, you wanted to rest up. Once you're rested up, come back home. Uh, come back home. Don't just stay out for, for, for too long. Uh, 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 it's a hadith both of Bukhari and Muslim. So we'll read, we'll receive, read two more hadiths inshallah and we'll, we'll finish. Babu istihbab al-qudumi ala ahlihi naharan wa karahiyatuhu bil-layli li ghayri hajatin. It's a chapter regarding the recommendation of uh, returning to one's family during the day and the dislikedness of returning at night unless there's a necessity to return at night. And say, so the, the idea is what? That a person is gone and their wife and their kids are at home uh, uh, or, or you know, uh, uh, their wife and their kids are at home, so they should return during the daytime, not during the night. And Sayyidina Jabir radiAllahu taala anhu and Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam qala idha tala ahadukum al-ghaybata, fala yatruqan ahlahu laylan. Wa fi riwayatin an Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam naha an yatruqa al-rajul ahlahu laylan. Muttafaqun alaihi wa an Sayyidina Anas radiAllahu taala anhu qala. كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يترك أهله ليلا وكان يأتيهم غدوة أو عشيا متفق عليه والطرق المجيء في الليل. So Sayyidina Jabir رضي الله عنه narrates that the Messenger of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم said if one of you is long sojourn uh, or, uh, 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 or sorry, long in their absence from home, let them not come come home and knock on the door of their house at night. Uh, the Messenger of Allah وسلم, in another narration, he forbade uh, a person from, from coming home or knocking on the door at night of a man uh, uh, for their, his family. 
And Sayyidina Anas radiallahu anhu also narrates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa said, let not a person uh, knock on their door uh, of their family at night. Uh, and the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sorry, not that he said that he used to not knock on the door of his family at night. Rather, he used to come to them either in the, in the morning or in the, in, the Af- in the last part of the day. And the reason for this is what? It's, it's something that you know, should have been common sense, but it's kind of not. Which is what? When you come home and you find everything's in chaos and disarray, you're not going to be happy. When you come home and you're, you know, you're, you're the, kids, the, you know, the kids are all sleeping here and there, and you're hungry, and you're in a bad mood, and you yourself, imagine if someone's coming in the middle of the night, that means that they themselves will be in a bad state. They'll be sleepy, so they'll be moody and fussy. They'll be hungry, etc., etc., and there won't be any food for them. What are you doing? You're just making a bad, bad reintroduction for yourself with your family. Come in the daytime, your children will be happy to see you, your wife will be happy to see you. She will have at least washed her face. Uh, uh, you will also have a chance to have like washed her face before meeting her. Let it be a good meeting. And this, this is like a lot of things in marriage. You, know, you get out of it what you put into it. So, uh, uh, you know, if you like that your wife should look nice, then you should also make yourself look nice. If you'd like the house to be clean, you should also help in cleaning it as well, or at least not make a mess. If you like that your children should present themselves to you well, then you should also present yourself to them well and teach them how, that they, how they should present themselves well to you. Whereas if you come in in the middle of the night and you wake your wife up in the middle from the whatever and her breath doesn't smell like you like it to smell and your breath probably doesn't smell like you like it to smell, it's not going to be a good meeting. And this is something Rasulullah used to do. You know, like When he would go on Hajj, for example, it's a sunnah that he would, uh, uh, he would camp at Dhutuwa, pitch camp if it was evening or nighttime, he would pitch camp and sleep. And then at the break of dawn, he would wake up and then uh, pray fajr and make ghusl and clean himself. Even though you're in ihram, even though he's in ihram, but he would, uh, he would take ghusl, not the type that you rub yourself because you're going like, to lose hair and then have to pay, how much dumb do I have to give? No, but he just pour water on himself so that, 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 that like, you know, he would be somewhat clean and put on the ihram and then he would enter Makkah Mukarramah in a good state. Imagine Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in in the the ashura in the months of Hajj, that he stops in Vutuwa and he takes ghusl and he enters in at the time of the sunrise, uh, like a groom coming like at the head of his uh, wedding party, mashallah, into the house of Allah subhanahu wa taala. If you don't put in the effort in order to make this experience sacred, it's not going to be sacred. If you don't put in the effort in order to make it a holy experience and an experience that's filled with the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, you're just trying to hurry up, run, run, do this, that, and the other thing, like a headless chicken, everything. Ramadan like that, Eid Salat like that, your five times daily prayer like that. It's your Salat, man. When you wake up and pray Fajr, right? Who am I going to beat up about not going to the masjid? You know, you could stay with me. You might say, okay, this guy doesn't go to the masjid himself for Fajr every day, right? We have our adhar because all of us live like 10 miles or 7 miles from the masjid or whatever. But fine. If you're, you're going to just wake up in your like, pajamas and t-shirt and pray fajr and then you don't get anything out of it, whose fault is that? Wake up. Take a shower. You know, even if you don't need to take a shower. right? Wake up. Take a shower. Wear your nice clothes. Put on perfume. Read the fatiha slowly. right? With proper tajweed. Right? This is one of the things that like, people, people do this. They don't, they, don't even, they don't say the adhan and the iqamah properly. Stop for Allah, man. Slow down. Say it nicely. Say it nicely. If you don't take the time to make things nice, then don't complain afterward if they're not nice. And so this is a reflection of this general sunnah of the Messenger of Allah wasallam, That he used to, when he would come home, he would tell his sahaba, عنه, when the army was coming home from jihad fi sabilillah, imagine that. They just came, people died, people are wounded, right? What would he do? They'd pitch tent, uh, 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 pitch camp outside of Medina. Go, all of you, wash your clothes, take a shower, brush your teeth, you know, uh, look good, look nice, right? Have clean clothes, come in the best of, uh, of, uh, uh, of, uh, of states, 
and then enter Medina. And then when you come home and you knock on the door, you see your wife, your wife sees you. They'll have the, the, the knowledge that the, 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 the army is like a day's march from here. They'll prepare themselves for you. You'll prepare yourself from them. There will be happiness in that occasion uh, because you put something into it. Whereas if you just show up out of the blue, you don't text your wife, you don't tell her you're coming, you don't, you know, uh, whatever. And then, then afterward you show up at, you know, at, at my uh, office because you're too cheap to, uh, you know, or like too lazy to like put in the application form for Khalil Center. By the way, if you don't have money, they won't turn you away. But, uh, and if you have some money, they'll give you a discount. Nobody's turned away from KC for lack of funds, mashallah. But, you know, you don't even want to fill the form out because you're lazy. So, I have an issue with my, whatever, my marriage and things like that. Don't call me up and be like, I have an issue with my marriage. And then when you come home, it's like, well, she never cooks for me. And she never dresses up for me. And she never this for me. And, uh, you know, whatever. Don't, don't be like that. If you yourself are a slob, you're going to hear it at that time. Uh, 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 a lot of it is what, it's, you get out of it what you what you put into it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, inshallah, give us the tawfiq that we uh, have, you know, we have beautiful experience with our family and spiritually and we put into something, into the deen. You put in a very little amount of effort and you get a lot out of it. It's not like it's, not like it's a waste of time. Everything that's worth having, it's also worth working for. If you see someone, oh look, this guy has a million dollars. Well, what did he have to do in order to get that million dollars, Right? If having the million dollars is worth it, then doing the work is worth it. If you find that doing the work to get there is not worth it, maybe the million dollars itself is not worth having. It's not worth looking forward to. Everything in the deen is like that as well. If it's worth having, it's also worth putting the time and the effort into getting. Uh, 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 and we know, because you can't say, well, I don't want to put in the effort, uh, so maybe it's not worth having. It is worth having because Allah and His Rasul told us. So that's a sign that also the effort that you put into it is not commensurate, that you put in same effort and get the same results. You put in some effort and you get much more uh, result out of it. Allah Ta'ala give all of us tawfiq to enjoy that. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala rasulihi Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.